you know what? We, uh, we could, but we won't, avoid talking about the Stonehenge Tunnel. <laughs> <laughs> um, because it just it, it, has, it, it, has, it invokes so many emotions. And, uh, you know, we, uh, you and we are unashamedly in favour. Uh, and whilst we understand uh, why anybody might not be, we do understand. But um, I thought it would be a good idea to actually talk about some of those aspects of you know why you're in favour, um, and also uh, you know the, the the fact you know one of the things that is so uh, f- for us anyway so key here is that there is this obsession with what's inside the uh, the heritage boundaries. Um, you know nobody worries about whatever work might be going on around and about, but you know you you only have to go a little bit. To, to the west, for example, outside of the, uh, uh, the the heritage boundaries, and good grief, there's a whole mountain of stuff uh, there. So, uh, yes, yes, there you go. That's it, well, to talk it's, about. yeah, <laughs> it's a great topic to talk about because it introduces so many ideas and so many thoughts um, from so many different directions. And, and yes, yeah. I'm a big supporter of it for a number of, of reasons. One of them is that it's part of a much bigger picture, and sometimes in archaeology we do forget the big picture. It's part of the big picture, which started back in 1983, when English Heritage declared, newly formed at that time, that they were going to, inverted commas, sort out Stonehenge, sort out the visitor experience of Stonehenge. And I don't think there was anybody in the kingdom who felt it wasn't time to sort out Stonehenge. Mm -hmm. What they came up with, after a lot of work, a lot of uh, thinking, a lot of consultation, was essentially a three-pronged approach. The first prong was to move the visitor centre from where it was, as you remember, right beside Stonehenge, literally in the shadow of Stonehenge. It was it was pretty awful. It's hard to think your way back there now, but it was pretty awful. Mm. Um, to move that somewhere at least a couple of miles away so that it would be out of the way, the parking would be out of the way, and people would walk across or be taken across to Stonehenge. So moving the centre and creating a proper visitor facility for Stonehenge, but not in its shadow, a good distance away. That was the first prong. The second prong was to remove the A344, which, again, you don't have to cast your mind back too far to remember that there was a road running right literally through Stonehenge. It went within a few yards of the heelstone. And buses and lorries and cars used to trundle on that road far too fast sometimes, I'm afraid. Um, there were accidents, sadly to say, it was not a pleasant experience. Mm-hmm. And I think, again, there'd be very few people who, who would demur from the fact that it would be a good idea to get rid of that road. Um, and that's been done as well. So the visitor centre has been moved to, to a great location off to the west. The A344 has been closed past Stonehenge. It's all been returfed. And you go there now and, and you know, it's beautiful. The landscape there is beautiful. You can hear the birds singing. You can see the animals going about their business in the landscape. And you can really enjoy Stonehenge. There's still a couple of fences there, some of which are there for technical and, and legal reasons, perhaps in due course. Those will come down as well. But we're moving very much in the right direction to open up the Stonehenge landscape. So the third part of the of the plan was to sort out the A303. And that, of course, had to be done in, in conjunction with um, what was then the Department of Transport, Highways England as it is now. Um, that was a much bigger job, of course, a much bigger project and, and also involved huge, huge amount of effort. But right from the word go, sorting out 303 and, and getting it out of the way or underground was 
very much part of the Stonehenge agenda. So this is the final piece of the jigsaw puzzle. The first two have been done. The third one is on the cards and hopefully will start before very long now. So the big picture, I think, is quite important. The result of those three initiatives was to give a good visitor experience into a landscape which Stonehenge was the centrepiece of a very nice prehistoric landscape that people could explore and walk around in and come at Stonehenge from all different directions and and really, well, you can't turn the clock back to the Neolithic but you can provide, if you like, the thinking space for people to think their way back to the Neolithic and that really involved getting rid of the traffic and getting rid of the visitor centre and all the rest of it. So the first thing is I see it in, in very much those terms. I see it as a conservation project and building a tunnel is not about building a road in the Stonehenge landscape. It's about taking a road out of the Stonehenge landscape. At the end of the project, when it's all done and dusted and finished, there will be no road to the south of Stonehenge. It's going to be underground by a good few metres, and we won't see any significant trace of it on the surface. There'll be a footpath on the top, and, and the landscape will be opened up. The National Trust own the land to the south of the 303, as well as the land to the north. And, of course, their policy is, is for free roaming, and people will be able to go and walk in those landscapes in an unhindered way. So all of that's that's good news. I see it as a conservation project rather than a development project. And the fact that the Highways England and their predecessor organisations have been so committed to getting a good solution to Stonehenge, Stonehenge question, if you like, um, I think is, is really encouraging. Mm. And we've got a good solution now. It's the best solution that we're ever going to get. And if we don't go with this solution, then the likelihood is that there will be a dual carriageway on the surface right south of Stonehenge yeah. and that nobody wants nobody wants that so this is what we're we're looking at we've then got another interesting angle and that is of course that most archaeological discoveries are made through development mm -hmm. through the process of development through the process of change and if you want to be really philosophical about it, one's got to realise that archaeologists study change. We study the products of people changing their landscape right from the year dot down to now. And if they didn't change their landscapes, we'd have nothing to study. <laughs> so in one, sense, in one sense, we've got to let the process of landscape change and development go on just so that you know, my successors and your successors in years to come will have something to study. I mean, that's, that's a very philosophical position, I know, but mm. nonetheless mm. is something to be said for that. So a lot of archaeology, most archaeology, in fact, comes through development. That's how we know about the archaeology that we've got. And so the, in one way, the proposals which are being made um, give us a fantastic opportunity, a fantastic opportunity to have a look at some bits of landscape that we wouldn't otherwise have a look at. There's almost nothing to do inside the World Heritage Site. Um, a few trenches, but proportionally speaking, not a lot is going to happen there. And if the archaeologists who have been planning this for, for years now have done their job, um, even half well, there's not going to be much to find because the location of the portals and the location of, of the um, introductory roads coming in and so on, the spur roads and things, they're all in places which, as far as we can see, will have very minimal, if any, archaeological impact. Mm. But we also have to realise the tunnel is only part of a bigger scheme. It extends westwards by quite a long way. It goes right around the north side of the village of Winterbourne Stoke and it takes us into the Till Valley and then up 
onto the higher ground beyond the Till Valley to the west. Now, that's an area where almost no archaeology has been done mm. in the last 50 or 100 years. Mm. We've got lots of archaeology done around Amesbury, the relocation of the military bases on the uh, edge of Salisbury Plain, of course. Rebasing program has led to discoveries of causeway enclosures and new henges and all sorts of things around on the north and the east side. We've got almost nothing mm. on the west side and the southwest side. So this road is going to give us a real opportunity to have a look at a good slice through the landscape to the west of the World Heritage Site. It's outside the World Heritage Site. But for my money, that's where the really interesting discoveries are going to be. Mm -hmm. uh, it's an area we don't know much about. It would be lovely to think that there's some things to find out about the River Till. We've got lots of stuff on the River Avon, you know, the work that Mike Parker Pierce and others have done on the Avon, and um, the work David Jakes has done on the Mesolithic beside the Avon there. We've got nothing to say, is that the same on the River Till, or is it different? And if it is different, why is it different? Mm. Again, we've got to go back and listen to the archaeological evidence a bit. And for that, we need some holes yes. to tell us what's going why on. Do, so, why do you think there is has been so much emphasis about loss of archaeology rather than that is which is to be gained? Can you mm. play devil's advocate for a bit around that? It's, it's, uh, it's very hard to see. Um, okay, well, one can take the very hardcore conservation notion that nobody does anything anywhere, anytime. Yeah. And I suppose that's the kind of, you know, that's the most extremist position you can have on conservation, that nothing happens, yeah. ever. Um, and some, some people hold that. i not a fan of that, really. We, yeah. Well, a few people do hold to mm. that view. Of course, you know, the world's, world's never going to change if we subscribe to that <coughs> position. Um, and even coming back a little bit from it still leaves us wanting to do very little and, and touch very little and not do very much and um i suppose it's fair to say this was an idea which which um, really sprang up in the 1960s and 70s perhaps at a time when people were very fearful of, of the archaeological resource not being particularly rich or plentiful we now know from development archaeology over the last 30 odd years that actually archaeology is incredibly plentiful yeah, it's yeah. incredibly rich and we probably even haven't, haven't even found the best stuff yeah. yet yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, we've got some <laughs> cracking stuff um so we've got to look at it the other way development is what drives archaeology yeah. and you know the many 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 of the best discoveries there's a few which sit outside in the sort of private research domain but for the large part, if you look at all the work that's been done in our towns and cities on medieval archaeology and post-medieval archaeology, this is because of development. Mm. If you look at all the work that was done on Darrington Walls in the 1960s yeah. and 70s, it was because roads were built there. The only reason we know about Darrington Walls is because there were roads yeah. built there in the 19, late 1960s. Um, and the same applies to a lot of parts of the Stonehenge yeah. landscape. It's because there has been development that we can say anything about no it Amesbury at all. Amesbury Archer, um, no Boscombe so Bowman. Amesbury Archer is another yeah. classic case, yeah, Mike. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that was found in, in, in a school development on the outside, outskirts of Amesbury mm. and... Uh, along with a lot of other stuff too. I mean, if you look through the reports on, on those excavations, there's a huge amount, not just for prehistory, but Saxon and Roman mm. too. So all of that is, and the richness of Stonehenge, if you like, has come because of development. So here's a great opportunity. And the funding is in place, the uh, skills are all in place, the contractors have been appointed and so on. We're ready to roll on doing a really good piece of archaeology. Not much is going to happen inside the World Heritage Site a good amount of archaeology will be done to the west and that's personally where I'm looking to see some new information, some new insights mm -hmm. 
and to and to balance up the Stonehenge landscape picture a bit. You know, we've got so much from the east side. Now we need a bit from mm, the West. Mm. And um, I don't think we're going to get that sort of research funding to no. go dig in yeah. the West. Um, so somebody's going to be doing yes. this for us and uh, taking a nice... nice here's here's, a, here's nice a kind chance. of point to make. I mean, there must have been uh, just huge hurdles that even someone such as you had to go through in order to dig... a a hole a few metres wide, albeit, you know, within the uh, Sarsen's stones, as it were. But even you had to go through a lot of red tape to be given permission. It's not something you just did because, yeah. No, no, no. And, and the same applies to all protected monuments. Well, that, that's the point, that the archaeology doesn't necessarily get done unless somebody's, you know, got a good reason to put a, put a, a spade in the ground. Yeah. Yes, yes. But we're not going to learn anything new unless we put a spade in the ground. And there, there comes a time when you you know you can keep reworking information from old excavations and, and reinterpretations possible, and we, of course, we keep samples so that new techniques can be applied to them and and all these kind mm. of things. That's fine, but there comes a point where you've actually got to go and do some something new. You've got to make some new incisions. And, um, you know, David Jakes' yeah, work, for example, yeah. on the Mesolithic stuff there uh, was an opportunity to have a look at something which has become really, really interesting mm. and important as a result of digging mm. in the ground. And uh, if we stop anybody digging, we're going to stop archaeology happening. <laughs>